Hi, I'm Barnaby Cook and welcome to The Exit Plan, a podcast for business owners that are interested in learning more about how to sell their business. Each episode, I interview someone who's bought or sold a business, either a creative agency or a production company. The conversation gets under the skin of why they wanted to sell or were looking to acquire, how the deal was structured, how they agreed upon evaluation, and what lessons they learned along the way. Here we go. Today's conversation is with Dale Parmenter, who has run the eponymous DRP group for over 40 years. It's grown from a small video production company into a fully integrated in-house communications group. Dale has made several acquisitions over the past few years to grow the group to over 50 million in revenue. Dale and I have been members of EVCOM, which is the trade association for the corporate film and events industry for a long time. It's a very impressive story. Thank you very much to Dale for being so open with me about the strategy for his acquisitions and how the integrations have all worked. I think this is a fantastic story and I hope you enjoy listening to this. Thank you very much for participating. You and I have known each other for quite a few years, yeah, I think, yeah, through obviously well, days and yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm sort of just very interested to learn a bit more about the acquisition journey that you've been on. But I thought a really good place to start would be if you can just give us a bit of an overview of DRP Group. So we're a well, full service agency started 42 years ago. Originally in film, it was film, not video, very quickly moved to video. And then in the 80s, started to look at things like events. And I suppose unwittingly started to become a multi-channel agency without even knowing what that meant at the time. Today, we're 420 people across uh, states, UK and Europe. And we're predominantly corporate, uh, it is our business. So anything from internal or external comms, through the various channels, whether that's a live event, whether it's a film, whether it's digital, uh, print, um, or campaign. Well, what were you doing before you started DRP? So I left school with a passion for film. Uh, I, I entered the BBC Young Filmmaker of the Year and I got to the final and I was the runner up. I thought, well, maybe it's something I could do professionally. Um, so I joined the NHS Film Unit and uh, we were making training films for the NHS. And after a couple of years, you could see the writing was on the wall. It was going to be closed down. And I thought, this is something I could do, you know, on my own. And so that was it. So 1980, DRPG was born. That's pretty, pretty amazing and still, still going strong. Yeah. Um, so when did you first think about growth through acquisition? Probably about 10 years ago, we started to think that, you know, organic growth is great and doing well. But there was, particularly on the digital side, we didn't really have the internal expertise. And it was either, well, we go and buy that expertise in, or we go and buy a company. And we were using a company at the time, quite a small outfit, really good, technically fantastic and ahead of the time. And just a casual conversation with the owner, and he was up for becoming part of a, a, a bigger organisation. So we did the deal. It was actually quite simple uh, and while his clients were, were great they were they were very much more local they wouldn't really quite fit with our corporate view um, what we inherited was a lot of great people uh, of which some of them we still got to this day so that was 2011 that so, so that was supplier of yours yeah. and you just thought 
approached them, had a conversation. Yeah, with the owner. had a conversation, and the guy liked the idea. As we found with a lot of small businesses, you know, he was very passionate about digital and everything digital, not very necessarily passionate about the business and the, the boring bits, let's say. So he wanted somebody to take that pressure away from him so he could just get on and do what he loved doing. Uh, and actually, that was in our interest as well. And what kind of size and shape was DRPG at the time? Uh, we were, I reckon, probably about 70 people. Okay. Uh, with a turnover of probably around about 10 million, I would have said at that time. It was quite a big deal for us doing that. And we'd never done an acquisition before. So, like, what do we know next? Uh, fortunately, you know, we've got some good professionals on hand, their accountants and our lawyers who, who held our hands for us. Yeah, I was going to ask, actually, the sort of next question was how, who, was it just accountants and lawyers that you had advising you or, or yeah, anyone yeah. else? Yeah, um, unfortunately, our accountancy practice that we've been through for many, many years or been with for many, many years, they're very experienced in the acquisition market. So they know exactly what to do, and uh, and they give great advice. I mean, the first thing they'll do is look at something and say, is it worth doing or not? Does it stack up financially? Because I'm sure, and I'd be the same if I sold, everybody over eggs, you know, their, 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 what their value is of a business. So there's some reality comes in there, uh, and they're actually really good at giving advice to the people we're acquiring, because they look at it holistically, because you know, it's got to be a win-win situation. So they will look and say, well, actually, if you do it this way, that's better for tax or more efficient. Because a lot of times what we find is when we are purchasing somebody, their professional isn't maybe used to doing an acquisition. So needs a little bit more help of, you know, they can't act for them, but at least point them in the right direction. So, so that was about 10 years ago. So how many have you done since then? Um, another five past that point, yeah. So we got it, we got a little bit into the habit of it then, and, uh, and and some to just you know working with people, knowing people, and people get to know that you're sort of on that acquisition trail. Um, so the next one was um, was Grosvenor. What Grosvenor brought to us that we didn't have was a way into public sector, particularly the Ministry of Defence. They got some great relationships which they've still got to this day. So Grosvenor brought something else to the party. And, and every time we, we do an acquisition, we look at what is it that they are bringing to us. Uh, it's not necessarily just clients, it could be expertise like the digital firm, um, or it just could be a new way of working or a new market. So that was, that was Grosvenor, which was, um, yeah, which was great. And, and that happened quite quickly as well. Okay, and then and then so what are the what are the subsubsequent ones that you've done since? So after uh, then, um, just in my memory now, yeah. <laughs> was, uh, was Penguins, mm-hmm. uh, which were an event company that actually we'd spoken to a couple of years before. And we got quite a way down the line, and you know one piece of advice I would always give is be prepared to walk away if something is not quite right. Um, it may not be the timing right, it may be the price, it could be whatever it is. You know, if you've got any doubt whatsoever, walk away from a deal. And we had done two years previously um, with, with Penguins. And then I got a call a couple of years later from, from Mark, um, CEO, saying circumstances have changed. And one thing he'd found, what had changed, is he found it quite lonely. And that's another trait of a small business. He got up to about 26 people. And that's a sort of tipping point. Do you really go for it now and expand? Or actually... 
I'm feeling a bit lonely on my own. I've got 26 people, which is not insignificant. So we had a chat and we looked at it. That, that was quite a big deal for us. That was the biggest one we'd have done. So putting that deal together was quite a lot more complicated than the others. And of course, we're taking on a lot more people. So there's always a lot of nerves around that. And particularly when, you know, it, it gets out and you make the announcement, panic sets in, generally speaking, uh, with, with the people you're acquiring. So you have to manage that. And that's really important to manage. But the deal dragged on and the lawyers were getting a bit bogged down in regulation and all sorts of stuff. And I was really keen for Penguins to come to a summer conference, but we hadn't done the deal. And uh, this is a brilliant opportunity for them to come join us and meet the team and be part of the party, in effect. So we decided to do that anyway without signing the deal, which was a huge trust. And, and I remember the, the day when we arrived, it was at Warwick University and we'd hired their, their conference suite. And these poor 20 odd people turned up I'm terrified, I suppose, of what have we come to. And, and I'd met them a few times before just to you know, sort of ease their mind. Um, and by then, we probably employed over 100 people. So it was basically saying to them, we've got to keep this quiet. Nothing can go on social media. Nothing can be released from both sides. But have a great time together. And, you know, fantastic. We trusted them and they delivered. It, not a thing got out. And it went on because it was then hit August holiday time and it was actually September until we, we actually did the deal, which was a bit scary, those you know, two months of, of waiting uh, and nothing got out. But it allowed us by having that social element for the teams to start to mix more effectively and quickly. With any of your acquisitions, have you brought the staff members into your existing offices or have you um, allowed them to? It support? depends. Um, yeah. With Grosvenor, it was, and with the digital company, it was very sensible to do that. They were you know, paying rent on a, an office. So we moved those guys out. With Penguins, obviously more people, based in Windsor, so a little bit more problematic. A lot of people lived very close to the office. So we decided to keep the offices, and we've still got them to this day, and we've, we've put a studio in there. So nothing really changed for those guys. But as time's gone on, of course, what, what a lot of the people in the organisation start to see or in the, in the organisation we bought is opportunities in the wider group. So some will move, some will operate you know, out of one of the other offices, but they start to find a, 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 you know, a new ambition comes alive for them and they start to move in the group. So Penguins as a brand is still there. It's still got a team predominantly focusing on incentives and reward and recognition, but a lot of that team are now integrated fully with, with the rest of the team, the wider team. Okay, so we've got the digital company. What were they yeah. called? Sorry, they, uh, were... they were called Midlands Internet. Mi we, okay. changed, oh, we changed okay. their name. That's sort of ninety, very nineties name. Yeah, isn't well, it? Yeah. <laughs> so that was one of the first things we did, and, and that's the only one we've done is change the name because it just wasn't right, mm. um, and we wanted to have the DRP Digital uh, name. But all the others we've maintained their brands, and that's been really important to us. Okay, so you've got, so what became DRP Digital, then Grosvenor Film, then it was Penguins, and yeah. then... HMX Okay, what do um, they do? So now, again, what really attracted us to them was the work they do with professional services. And we were touching on a few clients in the professional service market. And interesting how different sectors operate. And the feedback I was getting from a couple of our clients is, well, you haven't got a lot of experience in professional services. And we like 
agencies that have a lot of experience. Whereas you see other sectors where we don't want you to deal with any of our competitors whatsoever. So, so this seemed quite a nice fit. Nice group of clients there and very dependent on that sector. So Tim became part of the team. His model was different again, um, relied quite predominantly on freelance, but he had some quite permulancers in there. And we still use some of those guys are, are part of the team. And um, that was, you know, relatively small acquisition, but we kept the HMX name. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So then there's HMX and then... Firehouse. Firehouse was next. Was next. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Firehouse. Yeah. Uh, we were approached by an agent, a broker for Firehouse, and, and we looked at them. They're based in Farringdon. What they brought to the table was some really nice clients. They do a lot of experiential experiences for both internal and external. So we started chatting to them and we felt that there were synergies there. And we brought them into the fold in 2019. They actually came to our Christmas conference. HMX came to the summer conference before, so it's a bit of a theme here. Uh, um, and of course, what, what happened straight after into 2020, of course, was COVID. And all their business was events. So they were really badly affected by COVID. But we maintained all people, we kept them together, we were able to furlough quite a few of them. And actually now they've come back, 2021 was a good year, 2022 is looking to be quite a spectacular year for them. So that's a great success story. Again, we've kept the brand and we've kept the offices over in Farringdon as a spillover okay. to this office in Covent Garden. Okay, so then Firehouse and the last one was A-Vision, A-Vision. is that right? Yeah. Okay. So that was, I've known Andrew for, as everybody's known Andrew for many, many <laughs> yeah. years. And again, it was a casual chat at one of the EVCOM meetings that he was looking to do something different and wanted to be part of something bigger. Now, 100% of Andrew's business is in the States. And he's got some really cool clients out there, like just doing screen content and things like augmented reality, virtual reality. So what the opportunity there for us is, with our ambitions of the States, is we've got some ready-made clients who we can offer a lot more than what Andrew does. And Andrew really embraced it. And, you know, again, having acquisition in the middle of a pandemic was, you know, a bit of a scary thing to do, but we did it. And we're now reaping those benefits because we've really got into those clients. Those clients really like the approach they really like actually it's British creativity uh, and there seems to be a big thing in the States about British creativity. So that's led us now to open our second office. The first office was you know, very tiny. We opened an office in Atlanta where one of Andrew's biggest clients is and that's really developing quite nicely and I think the next 12 months we're going to see you know, a lot of growth there. Okay. So I'm really interested in kind of what the overarching strategy is for building the group. Mm. And do you kind of have one in mind when you go out looking for acquisitions? Or is there an element of sort of you see what situations come up and see how you... It's a little bit of both. Um, Strategy-wise, yeah. I mean, well, our vision is to be the agency of choice. And I have a photograph I share with the team. I wouldn't share with clients, but it's it's got a queue of clients queuing up to be interviewed to see whether they're good enough. Now, visions are out there. It's just a pretend. So to get even get close to that, we have to be the best. And we have, we have to be able to offer such a range of different creative services and a high quality. So that's the vision. And I suppose, you know, that leads the strategy going forward. 
But to be able to do that, we either grow organically, which we found was problematic, or we have to acquire was a combination of both. So we've been able to do a combination of both. So if you go back you know, 10, 11 years to the digital team, that was a highly experienced, relatively small team we brought in from Midlands Internet. But now we've got 70 digital people. We've got a digital marketing area. And a lot of the growth in that area is coming from you know, what we can do on social media, what we can do to help campaigns, both internal and external. And that all came from that spark. So it's the acquisitions that help the organic growth and they fuel, fuel it because they open up our eyes to different ways of working as well, but also different markets, different clients and different expertise. So some of those opportunities, you maybe took a little bit on a wing and a prayer, but actually yeah. helped kind of define yeah, they, they what um, DRP2 can offer. And a lot what sits behind that is it's about the opportunity. It's not necessarily going out looking. It would be, okay, that's a great opportunity. That could do this, this and this uh, going forward. I mean, we've turned down quite a lot. As many as we've taken, we've turned down. And we've got very, very close as well to acquiring some businesses, almost to the point of signing the deal and walked away because something comes out of the woodwork <laughs> at the last minute. Uh, and so then, then you walk away. Uh, if it can't be easily solved, then you walk away because you're buying you know, a, a, a potential problem. Yeah. So what impact have these acquisitions had on your business over the last 10 years? I think it's just the growth. Definitely, uh, both in the team, in the level of service and the products we can offer, and obviously the growth financially in the business. And what's been important is to let the brands be themselves. So they're those sort of niche brands, almost boutique agencies. There was a reason why that client used them. So we don't want to upset the client, but the client can either have all the resources of the bigger agency behind or just stick with the, the boutique agency. So it's that flexibility across, and I've seen so many acquisitions fail because, you know, Big Brother comes in and says, well, we're going to do it our way now, and you can all move aside. And all the best people leave, all the clients leave, and you end up with nothing. Basically, you've bought nothing, or you've just bought an hour liability. Uh, and I've seen, you know, even recently that happened with an organisation, and they've just lost all the clients, they've lost all their people. So what did you buy? So you, you shouldn't be too proud. Just be, I think, open to, you know, we don't do everything the right way. So there's some great ideas there and we need to embrace some of those ideas. It's clearly had a, had a huge effect, hasn't it? On I right. say, it, it, there's, there's a lot of ups and downs, but there, there's a, those initial times, those are the absolute critical times in those first few weeks when they become part of the team or actually in the build-up to that, becoming part of the team. The actual date we say well, we've done it, there's work to be done with the teams at that point. One the team that's already in the, in the main group to accept it and be fully aware of what's going to happen next. And the team we're acquiring feeling that we're not coming in to just asset strip and you're all going to lose your jobs, which is the first thing everybody thinks mm. instantly with that. A single word being said, that's the first thing that people think. And my view is, why would we want to do that? Because we're buying this expertise to grow our business. So I don't want to lose anybody out of that business. In fact, now I want it to grow. And thinking a little bit now about deal structure and funding yeah. and how you put the deals together, I'd be kind of interested in mm. what mix of cash, equity, deferred consideration, yeah. all of that kind of stuff that we, you, you do. We, we insist on 100% control. Yeah. 
That's the first thing. So it's a buyout. A buyout. We also insist on the owners who have got the relationships stay within the business for at least three years. So there's only an out period. We've never borrowed to purchase. We'll use a mixture of capital and also capital within the target organisation. So when the experts originally described it to me, I thought, that's a weird thing. It's using their money to buy them. But of course, you don't buy cash. Nobody wants to buy cash. What we're buying is, yes, we're buying the assets, we're buying the, the going concern and the goodwill. But also, we don't expect to pay 100% upfront. There would be a period of time where they're drawing that down into the earnout. So we've only got two earnouts running now out of the ball. And it's worked really well because it incentivizes the owners, the original owners, to keep that business going and keep it working and, and keep the clients happy. So presumably, if you're not buying cash, but there is cash in the business, then you're doing a share mm. purchase. What it allows, the, what the cash allows, they have the cash, but of course they have it with the 10% entrepreneurial relief. So rather than paying the 40%, um, they can take it out of the business. So that becomes the win-win scenario. All has to be signed off by HMRC, of course, and, and of course you have to stick to that now for the three years. You can't vary the deal. If you do, you have to go back to HMRC and get re-signed off, so like, keep away from that. It's just a pain. So everything has to be a win-win situation. The owners can take that cash, they've gone. Now we've got the risk of running that business with no cash. So then we have to put capital into it to keep it going. Um, and get it back to you know where it was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what's the sort of range, kind of in terms, just in terms of revenue, really, of the of the companies that you've acquired? Everything from probably about a million up to five. Okay. Yeah. And so, and no external funding no. to to put these deals no. yeah. t- together. Yeah, yeah. So I want the original owners to be part of it going forward, and so. Having that earnout is key to that. That they, you know, they they, they can earn more money, and, and most of them have mm-hmm. earned more than we anticipated right at the outset. I think if anybody left who got all the contacts, that would be a worry to me. Yeah. Do you think of it in ter- when you're looking at an acquisition target? Do you kind of think of it in terms of a multiple of EBITDA, or is that a sort of no, bit of a side consideration? We've never never looked at that. It's and that's probably the trickiest thing ever is to value the business because they will come with a value and yeah. then we'll look at the value and that's a million miles apart. Uh, and then we start to talk about what it's really worth. And what, what I'm interested in is what the potential is going forward more than what it's worth today. But, you know, we take assets into consideration, we take the goodwill, look at the work they've got on currently, where they're going with it. So we don't tend to use the multiples. We use a combination of lots of different things and then after normally a week or so, we, we would say, well, we think this is the figure. Uh, and then there's a little bit more negotiation. And then somewhere along the line, we all accept. Yeah, yeah. But we have, to be, we have to be comfortable with it, and they have to be. There can't be any resentment of, oh, no. I could have got a few more quid out of that. Um, everybody's got to be absolutely 100% happy with it. Yeah, yeah. And how do you manage the previous owners of the business? Like, what are the sort of touch points that you have with them? And because mm. presumably there's a lot of entrepreneurial characters, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, personalities. And, and, and they can join a, a bigger business that may feel that, you know, there's a lot of red tape now, a lot of process and procedure, which I hate. Right at the beginning, I put myself in their shoes and thought, if I was doing this and I was the other side, what would it feel like? And I thought it would be horrendous. <laughs> so I'm. 
very sympathetic to their cause and their emotions around that. Some on board may not be as sympathetic because they've never run a business, so they don't know that emotional connection with that brand that all of a sudden is not yours anymore. And, you know, we've had some interesting conversations through some of them of, you know, that that's my brand, Ron. It's not really anymore where you've sold it. So it's a slow process. As I say, we don't like to go in and say, right, that's it now, uh, you're doing it our way. So it's much more consultative, much more, well, you know, we'll take ideas from you, but you take ideas from us. There are certain ways we need to work, particularly around finance and IT. We find sometimes you go into a company and maybe their, you know, their, their security systems isn't great, and now we're going to put them onto our system. So we, we have to sort that out. And they, they do find that a bit of a pain at times because oh, I've got all these login stuff now and everything else. Um, and the finance, because we will take control of all the finance um, and pull that into our main group. So there's a little bit of learning there, but beyond that point, then there's a lot of give then beyond there of how they run the brand, how they, they present themselves, how they sell themselves and, and, and the productions they do. And how do you sort of integrate the businesses into the group? And I don't just mean from an employee perspective, but from a sort of service offering, you know, how do they sort of, how does it start to feel like mm, one well, consolidated yeah. group rather than a sort of ragtag group of, you know, yeah, yeah. companies? It's, I like to get to know the owners and I like to eventually obviously meet their people and have a chat and we take them for a beer and, and have some social element to it. And you start to get a feeling for their culture and whether the synergies and if there aren't any synergies, if you think this doesn't quite fit, then again, you should consider walking away. So the cultures have to complement each other. They don't have to be the same, but they certainly have to complement. So we do quite a lot of work in that bit. And sometimes our acquisitions can take longer than probably a lot of others do because it's that work we're doing around it. You know, the lawyers are doing the due diligence and all that stuff. We're doing, I suppose, due diligence on culture, people. And yes, the work they do, some of the work will be different, but that's great because we want to learn about what, what are you doing? What are you doing differently to us? And where can we learn from that? So again, it has to be a two-way feeling. But then everything we, we push out comes from the group internally. Still may have the logo attached or their brand attached. So team meetings, project meetings where we've got a mix of people. And that can become the most difficult thing because if you've got a, an organisation that's predominantly used freelancers, and then they come in and they can use in-house resources, they will treat the in-house resource like an external resource. And we have to do an awful lot of work around, no, they're now your colleagues, they're not freelancers, they're not, they're not subcontractors. That is probably the most difficult learning point there, is you are colleagues working together. So you're in a room and absolutely you can talk openly about the project, you know, the budgets, because, oh, no, we don't tell people that, we don't tell subcontractors that. No, no, they're not subcontractors anymore. So we have to do an awful lot of work around that. Um, but every Monday, all of the head of the brands, we all meet only for half an hour just to catch up where we are, what we're doing, any issues. And we've done that for the last, yeah, 10, 11 years. So anything that we is becomes problematic, then, then we'll deal with that. We also keep all their own board meetings, um, which I attend and business partner attend every month. So we get a, a link together um, uh, and then, you know, we decide what is absolutely you've got to fit in with and what is the freedom bit that you can do what you want with. 
So in terms of the future and looking at more acquisitions, mm. you know, this has clearly been a successful strategy yeah. to help grow the group. I mean, is it about 30 million now? Well, we think we're going to do 48 million this year. Wow. Okay, so I've, yeah. my, in my yeah. information is out of date. Okay, so, you know, coming up on 50, 50 million. Yeah. I mean, is there any reason you wouldn't do more and move faster or kind of what you're doing roughly one every two years? Yeah, yeah, Does yeah. that feel about I mean, right? We slowed down mainly because of COVID. Yeah. And we've had a couple on the table in the last few months and they've just not felt right. Mm-hmm. So they walked away. If the right deal came along, absolutely, we would look at it. We are looking at deals potentially in Germany and in the States because those are two markets that we're growing at the moment and we've got teams out there. But, you know, to speed that process up, it's almost like starting again what we did in the UK, but now in those territories. So we certainly wouldn't say no. Uh, I think what I want to see at the moment is that sort of settling down after COVID mm-hmm. and obviously with everything else that's going on in the world as well, it's like it's all gone a bit mad. I'd like to see some stability and, you know, the, the, the market settle down because it's still a lot of uncertainty around. And how are you sourcing deals at the moment? Are you still, are you still, is it just kind of through your own networks? Or? Yeah, our own network. Yeah. Or we get approached. Quite a lot of brokers approach us on a regular basis. Because you're buying. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. It's almost every day I get an email. What, what about this one? No. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. So, and some of the brokers are, are really good, uh, really informative, really efficient. Um, but of course, they, they take a, a cut. Yeah, yeah. And do you have other advisors now that you... No, still the same advisors, so our original accountants and yeah. original lawyers. And actually, they become a team as well. So when I sort of press the button on something, they instantly work together, and they're working behind the scenes. I had dinner with a senior partner of our lawyers last week, and he was saying that, you know, we are so easy because they know us, they know the accountants, and it just drops into a mode. And we know what we're looking for. We know what good looks like. Um, so it's really important to get a team that one gets you, but also gets how to put a, a deal together and not necessarily stick to the set way of doing it, looking to be a little bit creative themselves. And what's the, what's the end game for you? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I was starting to think about that just before 2020. <laughs> and then, and then uh, we all know what happened next. Um, Clearly, I will start to slow down and, and probably, you know, take a, a lesser role with the point of, yeah, probably exiting myself. We've got no intention of selling DRP. <laughs> that's, that's, that's for sure. I think the, 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 certainly the start of a succession planning there going forward with the team. Now, whether that would be a, an MBO or, or another scheme, who knows? But yes, I think next few years will be. Okay. decisions okay so you might sort of take a step back become chairman or something, yeah, something and, like that. And, yeah yeah and see see how it yeah goes. there are okay. days when i want to do that tomorrow <laughs> but yeah yeah i'm sure i'm sure <laughs> yeah. but it's a big you know it's massive now right i mean you know coming yeah. up on 50 million is huge and that's got to be an attractive proposition to you know yeah. private equity or yeah no absolutely you know. so so i think now we've settled back down after i put the covid hangover in now um then yes probably look at you know, what are the options out there? But there's no firm plans whatsoever. You know, I, I still enjoy it. I enjoy the team. Uh, I'd say brilliant, 420 of them now. Um, we've got a summer conference next week without an announcement of acquisition. <laughs> People <laughs> will be disappointed, surely. Who have we bought? Who have we bought now? <laughs> Nobody this time. Um, and, you know, that, that will be a fantastic event and to, to see all the team, particularly something we haven't seen for 
quite a long time. Okay, great. So just kind of looking, reflecting back on the last 10, 11 years of doing this, what are your sort of key learnings or is there anything you would have done differently? Um, not too much differently. I think, you know, with the advice we've had, I think we did well. And that would be a, a point of advice. Make sure you get some good advisors. That will make life so much easier and they'll take so much away from you. You don't have to deal with. But I think the most important thing I advise people when you're thinking about acquisition or you're thinking about being acquired is it's got to be a win-win situation. Mm. Everybody's got to come out with this positive. And if there's any glimmer of that that's not going to happen, then walk away. Have any of them not really worked out? No, they've all worked. They've all worked well. That's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Was it 25% only succeed? And, yeah. You know, but I think that's the time we put into it. Great team to do the due diligence and make sure it happens and then the time we spend with the team and the openness we do with the team but you know, and the trust we put into the team we're acquiring you know, I remember we were in this room when we took over Grosvenor and everybody sat around the table arms folded and it was like oh this is not going well and Des made the announcement and it was a complete shock to the guys so I just stopped the meeting and said let's go next door to the hospital club um, a few beers later, we're all big friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing. You've got to build the trust of the team you're acquiring yeah. because if they get spooked, they will leave. And then part of what you're buying here is their expertise yeah. and their loyalty uh, and their knowledge. Yeah. So it's really important to get the team on board very, very quickly. Good. I think that is, that's pretty much that's um, all my questions. No problem. But thank you very much. Thanks for being so open about it all and very interesting to hear hear a bit more about how, how it's all gone down. Thank you very much for listening to the Exit Plan podcast. This podcast was edited and mixed by Guy Hickson and was produced by me, Barnaby Cook. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review to help other people find us. If you're wondering what's next for you in your business and want to chat about an exit plan, connect with me on LinkedIn.